You know, if you're like most people, and certainly if you're a regular listener here, you probably have an idea about something that could make you money. Maybe three or four ideas. You know, we're told that the average person has three or four ideas a year that would make them a millionaire if they created a plan and took action on that idea. So how many ideas have you let slip by because you were too busy or thought someone else has probably already done that or simply didn't reach out for help on bringing that idea to life? Okay, stick around. Now we're going to be looking at some simple ideas that could make you rich and how to welcome innovation and change right after these messages from our supporting sponsors. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, welcome in. Dan Miller here. Thanks for being a listener. A lot of you have been here for a long time. Every week, we cover ideas for how you can improve your life, improve your income, improve your impact, increase your number of friends, all those wonderful things that make like life meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Well, here's some questions we're going to be looking at today. Could you turn $1 into $100 in two weeks? I'm going to talk about a process for that. I'm going to talk about why horse manure may be clouding your thinking. Also, I'm going to share uh, toward the end, I want to share with you what is the paperclip challenge. Now, this is a real deal, the paperclip challenge, where actually I'll give you, I'll give you a spoiler alert. A guy traded up from a paperclip, a red paperclip to a house. Real story. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that. So our quotation for today comes from Dan Sullivan, founder of Strategic Coach, that you hear me mention often. He says, always have a future bigger than your past. You know, think about that. I mean, a lot of people reach a certain point and they think, well, I've kind of reached my peak. Now it's just kind of coasting in the grave. That's a tough kind of mentality to have. And it'll show up in what happens to you physically, mentally, emotionally, in terms of your impact and all that. Always have a future bigger than your past. Be planning out what you want to achieve what you want to accomplish. I don't care if you're retired, technically. There still ought to be, what does the future hold for you? What do you want to make that be? All right, a resource for today. If you go to 48days.com slash experience, that's where I want you to go. It ties in with what I want to talk about today. That takes you to our Will It Fly event that we're going to do right here in Sarasota. Now, this is going to be August 10th and 11th here, 2023. I just extended the time frame on it this morning. We were going to start at noon on Thursday. We've extended it to start at 8.30 because we have way too much to put in, in terms of people who want to contribute, things we want to help you walk through. You know, we're going to sing together. We're going to eat together. We're going to play together, grow together, perhaps even invest together. This is our Will It Fly event. Now, you're going to hear me talking more about this because I believe so much in these kind of events. Now, why do you go to events? I mean, why why don't you just uh, pull up some YouTube 
clips if you want to. You know, you can learn anything you want to there. Yeah, you can figure out how to do most anything you want. If you just watch a tutorial, watch some TED Talks. But here's the deal. When you invest in books, courses, events, conferences, seminars, you, you, what you're buying is speed. You're going to change dramatically the speed at which you move forward. You know, it reminds me of the story I told a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Tony Robbins when he was 17 years old, he was working as a janitor making $40 a week. And he ran into this family friend who they knew had had a big transformation in his success, had gone from kind of rags to riches. And Tony asked the guy, you know, how'd you do that? He said, well, I went to this seminar by a guy named Jim Rohn. Well, I want to go. How much is it? 35 bucks. Now, keep in mind, again, Tony was making $40 a week as a janitor. The seminar was $35. And he asked the guy, well, can you get me in? The guy said, yes. And then he just stopped, didn't say anything. And Tony says, well, will you? And the guy said, no. He said, well, why won't you? He said, because you won't value it. Tony says, well, you know, how, how can I go? And of course, you know how that turned out. You know, the guy said, well, you can invest $35, even if it is most of your week's income, and go and learn what I did, or you can take the next 10 years and try to figure it out on your own. Man, that's when I think about the conferences that I've gone to where I've got, you know, one or two great ideas and come back and implement them, how that's added zeros to my income. It's mind-blowing. So we're going to be going through, and, and then on, on our Will It Fly event, on Friday afternoon, we're going to be reviewing real live businesses that people want to bring to the table. Now, there's an application process for that, and of course, we'll get you the application process. Actually, I want to, I'm going to make it available that you can look at it, but uh, we'll give it to everybody who is going to, who registers to come to the event. And then you have a chance to present your idea. We'll screen these in advance and have four or five ideas that we review. How do you present so that it would be appealing to all, to investors? I mean, how do, you, how do you get ready to walk on a stage at Shark Tank? That kind of thing. We're going to be looking at real businesses and uh, have not play money, but real money to invest. You know, if we like an idea, I'm going to have a panel of people there where we invest together. You can present an idea. We'll kind of wrap up Friday with that. Now, a whole lot's going to be happening there, obviously. We're going to have a spectacular Amish lunch buffet. They're bringing over from Der Dutchman Restaurant, the same buffet that's world world well known and uh, that we've enjoyed so many times. We're going to have them duplicate that just for our attendees. So anyway, check it out. Go to 48days.com slash experience. Get all the details there. You know, I'm reminded as I kind of roll into this conference today, the uh, the old saying that Steve Jobs gave at a graduation ceremony where he said, here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, and while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Man, he said that back in 1997. All right. So let's think about that. Maybe you're maybe you're one of the crazy ones. So I want to talk to you about a crazy experiment that we did last week here. My mastermind was here 
And, you know, there's 26 of us that get together three times a year here. We talk every week. We share ideas. We do things together, but we come together down here where I live in Florida three times a year. So they were just here. We had an experiment last Friday. Now, what, what they did, I wasn't leading this. One of the guys in the group was leading this, divided us up into groups of four. So there were multiple groups of four. Each group was given at $1 as seed capital with a challenge of using our creativity and resources to see if we could come back with $100 in one hour. So short period of time, what are you going to, that, that was the only instructions. That was it. So most of the groups rushed out in the community. They began knocking on doors to, you know, then clean a garage floor, move a rock, haul away an old refrigerator, help ladies from the grocery store to their car, return the carts, you know, all just for tips provided. Our group, the group I was in, chose to spend the first 30 minutes. We just sat down and were, were thinking and planning. I read a section of a book that I happen to have with me. We then decided that one of the things that we could offer for sale that had value was what I refer to as a power session with Dan. Now, that's something that people do all the time. It's a power session with Dan. It's 45 minutes, $500. And we decided we'd make a discounted link for that. We'd make it $250. $250, put a link up and have it expire in that period of time. So we shared it in the 48 Days Eagles community and on our Facebook page with the expiring 20-minute response time. So by the time we thought through what we were going to do, how could we make money in that period of time? I happened to have three ladies in the group with me, so we weren't going to go out and move rocks and haul refrigerators like some of the guys did. But anyway, we just looked at what resources do we have? How could we offer that to people? And so that's what we did. We offered that 45-minute power session with Dan at $250, put it up, where then we had only 20 minutes left and had to walk back in the room with cash in our hands. So it had to be you know, paid, paid in full and everything, not just a promise, had to happen that quickly. But we still thought that would give us the most leverage for what we were going to do. So we did that. We had six people who responded immediately. Now, the other groups walked back in the room the hour was expired. We walked back in the room. Some of them had skinned arms, bruised shoulders, and they had amounts of like $26, $47. Nobody had $100. My group walked back in the room with $1,500 cash. Now, there's, there's so many principles in there that we're still unpacking. So many things that came out of that that led to an unbelievable discussion afterward. But that's an example of looking at what is it that you have to offer. Now, incidentally, the money that we brought back into the room uh, was donated to an organization called CEO, Creating Entrepreneurial Opportunities. It's a program that teaches high school students the basics of starting their own businesses. And that's one of the things they do is give kids a dollar. No, actually, they give them two weeks to come back with $100. What could you do? You know, some of the kids make candles, some of them you know, have something in their garage that they can sell. You know, some of them do a service, they mow yards, wash windows or whatever, but it's, it's to help people identify what is it that you have to offer. Now, here's a couple principles out of this that we need to be aware of. When there's urgency, when there's a short timeline like that, it forces you down the economic ladder 
Here are guys, you know, who are millionaires in their own right, in their own businesses, but giving one hour to create something, they revert all the way back down to just doing something physical that they can just get tips for. It really pointed that out instead of using our heads. When you use your head, uh, the, but but also one of the parts of this is that if you can look to the future, if you have more time, then you can do things that have a potential for big return. Most of the things that I look at at this point, you know, are going to have like a two year time frame before they really start making money. So you start something, put it in motion, knowing that the payoff is going to come down the road. Now, to get to that position where you have that kind of flexibility may take a little time. If the rent is due on Friday and you get the electric bill sitting on your desk and it's been there for a week, you know, you don't have that luxury of waiting for something that's going to pay off in two years. What is it you can do right now? But you ought to recognize that should be a short term plan for you. If you need money right now for expenses that you have right now, you, know, you want to get to the point where that's not the case, where you don't have the urgency of things right now that have to be paid, where you have the luxury of doing things that have the potential then to grow over a period of time. Now, we, I hear so many stories here you know, about what, what people are doing. Uh, one of our uh, new Eagles Elite members was describing that as a kid, he would buy blow-up pops. Now, it's because he wanted blow-up pops for himself. He enjoyed them. So he'd buy a bag, like on the weekend, for a dollar. There were eight blow-up pops for a dollar. And then he'd go to school and he'd sell those individually for 25 cents. Well, clearly, he had eight for a dollar. So if he sold four for 25 cents, he has his money back and he had four that he got to enjoy for himself at no cost. Now, that's a simple process of arbitrage where you buy something and then you resell it. It's like the old example, you know, buy a bushel of apples, you know, for $3 and then you sell them for 10 cents a piece and you, you know, make your money back and double it, you know, that kind of thing. When I was a six-year-old kid, I started selling Christmas cards and it was the same kind of thing. There was a profit margin built in. I could buy them for, let's say, a dollar a box and sell them for $2 a box. So I would buy them, pay for the material that I got, sell them and keep the profit. Very, very simple. You can move your way up in that simple process just called arbitrage. You know, Jamie Slingerlin does that with cameras. He buys cameras in bulk. So he may buy last year's model at the end of the year from a manufacturer, from a retailer, and he may buy 40 cameras in there at a bulk price that's greatly discounted. Then he positions them one at a time on Amazon and sells them and makes great margins because of what he's doing. I mean, a lot of you may be familiar with um, FBA, Fulfilled by Amazon, where you can go and buy quantities of something. You may buy something on clearance, clearance at Target and reposition it and double your money on that. So we talked about blow-up pops, you know, eight for a dollar. What if he moved up to cars or houses, it's the same kind of principle. What could you do? One time I bought a, a BMW, a 328 series, at a repo auction. There's a repo auction that runs every every Monday in Nashville, where we lived for many years, and I would go to that auction. I bought that BMW 328 for $1,650. Now, there were papers in the glove box 
where somebody had purchased it six months prior to that for $7,750. Now, I don't know what the circumstances were. didn't have any history on it, but it, unfortunately, somebody apparently wasn't able to make the payments on it, and they, they had paid $7,750 for it. I bought it. Now, they, they probably you know financed it for a long period of time and weren't able to make the little weekly or monthly payments that they agreed to. Of course, I paid for it in one lump sum and got it for $1,650, which in and of itself is a, a lesson that you we all need to pay attention to. You get big discounts if you pay cash up front rather than spreading it out over payments on pretty much everything. But that car, I put a drive shaft bearing in that car, cost me $129. Now, my daughter Ashley drove it for, for two years, and then we kept it around as a family extra for another two years. So I had the car for four years, and then we sold it for $3,500. So I, I more than doubled my money after we drove it for four years. I mean, that's uh, I talk about that a lot. I enjoy cars, and I've been able to do that with cars over and over and over again. The car I'm driving right now, I'm getting ready to sell, and I expect to make several thousand dollars more on it than what I paid for it six years ago when I bought it. Well, I... Um, there's so many examples there. I don't have time to go into all the examples, but um, you know, what is it that you can do? I mean, uh, the guy who used to mow our yard in Franklin, he asked me, you know, Mr. Dan, he used to call me Mr. Dan. He said, you know, you know, what, what can I do to make more money? Well, when you look at a business that you have, you can look at it. it let's take that as an example. You're mowing yards. Well, you can go out and find more people to mow their yard. So if you're mowing 30 yards for 30 people, you can go out and find 60. So you double your the size of your business. But what if you look at it differently? What if you look at it and what could I do for the 30 customers I already have that would be other services for them that I could easily provide because I'm here anyway and they already have established trust and rapport with these people? That's what he did. Name was Noah. That's that's what he did. So he started doing decks, water features, decorative sidewalks, and all that for the people where he was all already mowing the yards. Now, interestingly, with mowing the yards, I mean, it was very reasonable. It was like sixty dollars, as I recall, to mow my yard at our house. So he may have had forty dollars cost in that with equipment and manpower, and had twenty dollars profit. What if he did a sidewalk for me, or what? I, he did a deck for one of his customers who had a, kind of a long drop off from the guy's cabin down to the lake. It was a lake house and he wanted a, a deck that would stair step and go down so they could walk downstairs instead of having to slide down a cliff that they had. That was a $135,000 project that Noah did. You think he made a little bit more than that than mowing a yard? Yeah, now it's a little more complicated. He had to learn how to do that. As a matter of fact, he watched YouTube videos about how to use this new material that's a composition board. It's not really wood. And uh, it ended up being picked up by the manufacturer and that they show as an example for how to do this. But that's the kind of thing that he did rather than just saying, I'm going to mow more yards. So if you are looking at you know, you've got an ice cream cream truck and you're selling ice cream cones to kids. What is it you could do that you could also provide to them when they're already standing there and have money in their pockets? I have a granddaughter who is well known for her face painting and henna. 
Um, she was 17 years old. It's a couple years ago now, but she was 17 years old. And uh, I don't know how much she spent for supplies, but I would I'd suspect, you know, maybe 10 bucks, 10, 15 dollars. And she made $455 in six hours on a Saturday at the farmer's market there in Woodland Park, Colorado, where they live. Ian and Canyon, a couple of them, my grand, grandkids, because they do live in an aspen grove. There's thousands of aspen trees. Aspen is not really a great wood. It's kind of soft. It's not good for home building or anything like that, but it's great for some projects. They have a saw where they can cut slabs of that. They cut those slabs. So maybe, you know, inch and a half thick, and then they cut it into like 16 inch lengths. So they got this nice slab with bark on the side. It's really attractive. And they go to the farmer's market with a router and they will put somebody's name on there. You know, the Mellers live here or whatever you want. You, you can write your name on there, Fred. They'll do that, personalize it because it's personalized and they get like 25 bucks for those. So the cost of materials is essentially nothing. And yet they turn it into extraordinary income just by being available to personalize it in that way. Got other granddaughters, you know, got a granddaughter who sold poppy seed muffins at our events. Boy, it reminds me with our event coming up here in Sarasota, I'd have some of my grandkids come up with some creative ideas there to work work the crowd that's there. Those are always fun kind of things to do. I have granddaughters who have art designs on Redbubble where you can go there and order a, a mouse pad or a calendar or a clock or a mug or a t-shirt with their art designs on there. So they have no cost at all. They submit their designs. And as people choose those designs, then they get a commission every month on that. I have granddaughters who, who invoiced me Papa every month for work that they've done. They track birthdays in our community and provide birthday greetings. Uh, one of my granddaughters, who's 13, just designed a new business card for me. So I have new business cards with the new address, new business cards. And now I've commissioned her to come up with a birthday card that's personalized as a 48 days Eagles birthday card that I can send out to people. So I tap them on the shoulder. They do that kind of thing. Last week, I talked about uh, uh, a guy, actually Steve Chow, who has a new book out called Family First Entrepreneur. Family First Entrepreneur. He has a really popular um, blog that's titled uh, My Wife Quit Her Job. My Wife Quit Her Job. That was their desire. His wife got pregnant with her second child. She wanted to stay home. You know, gee, how can she walk away from a six-figure income and make the family work? They figured it out, what they were going to do. They looked at what is it that they have available that they can do? How can they grow that? That's what they did. What they do is they sell handkerchiefs. Now, these are real handkerchiefs. You know, they're, they're the cloth handkerchiefs, just a real handkerchief. And he talks openly about the fact that they buy some of these for 25 cents and sell them for $25. Uh, that's a pretty good markup, I'd say, 25 cents to $25. You can go to their site. It's Bumblebee Linens, bumblebeelinens.com, and see there they have beautiful. Now, now, the way they get so much money for these linens or for the handkerchiefs is that they personalize them. Like if you're going to have a wedding and you want the bride and groom's names on there, that's a real popular item for them, other special occasions. So they will embroider on there. They personalize them. But the cost of materials is extremely low. They were, um, they decided they were going to do this so his wife could stay home with, as 
the approaching birth of their second baby. And the first year they generated over $100,000. Then he got to be on the Today Show. On the Today Show, he was going to be on there. He was on there for 12 seconds. 12 seconds on the Today Show. And the response put them over a million dollars the next year. Well, Hey, we could go on and on about some of the the ideas here, the ways that you can make money. I want you to understand. You're gonna. I'm gonna give you some examples here of how you can find your idea. What do you, what do you have right under your nose that you could look for that would have the opportunity, have the potential to turn into an idea like I just described. Hey, as you know, here I'm just taking a quick interlude to remind you these are real life questions from listeners like you. If you got questions, ideas, resources you want to share, hey, just go to 48days.com slash ask Dan, leave your question there. If I use your question on the air, I'll send you an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love and maybe some other surprises as well. All right, let's get back to our process here. Here's here's what I went through in the sequence of my own work. Now, I talked about when you have an immediate need, it forces you down economically. You're going to go down to something where you're going to get a few bucks, but not a whole lot, and you get it immediately, and that's the end of the deal. So, I, you know, I milked cows when I was growing up, provided a product. You know, I sold excess sweet corn out of our family garden, 30 cents a dozen. You know, so I was providing a product and got paid a little. You know, then as I went on to college, I started painting houses, um, you know, so in apartments, you know, that I could do around my graduate studies. So I was doing that. And in doing that, I provided a service. Well, I was paid more. You know, I would bid a job, you know, painting a house. I may bid it at $1,200 to paint the house. I'd take out the cost of paint. Actually, most of the time I would just add on the actual expense. So I just bid my labor in doing that. Or we'd never, so I wasn't basing it just on time. I wasn't getting paid so much an hour. I would bid the job. That's always how I did those kind of things. So I was providing a service. Well, there my pay jumped up pretty dramatically. So again, if I was just providing a product, I was paid a little bit. I was providing a service. It went up. Well, then I figured out how to inspire people how to provide hope, inspiration, encouragement, guidance, and the pay has increased dramatically. Well, that's the deal. You provide something that has more value and you're going to get more money. If it's something that's easily duplicated by somebody else down the street, it's going to keep you pretty low. But you provide something that has a lot of value and your money goes up. So ask yourself this, you know, what's the biggest problem I can solve based on the resources I have access to? Just like we did in the little experiment here. What is it that I could do right now that would have some kind of value for somebody that I could get paid for? But ask yourself that. What's the biggest problem I can solve based on the resources I have access to? And then ask yourself this, can I deliver that to one person at a time, to a small group? Or, or to thousands of people at once. I mean, that's going to change your income dramatically. Now, always, you know, always go beyond. Yeah, I've got a piece here. It's actually Elon Musk it says, always go beyond memorizing formulas and passing tests. Always go deep into the underlying principles of the subject to track down any problem 
down to the root cause, buried in the dirt in the dark. You know, you got to be able to see things that other people don't see. I'm not quoting him at this point, but you got to be able to see things that other people don't see, to be able to do innovative kind of things. Now, a lot of people are committed to keeping things the way they are. I mean, you know the people, you see them, you hear them at work, you run into them at the grocery store or church, whatever, they want to keep things the way they are. Any kind of change is terrifying to them. In Europe, parts of Europe, they have what is called the precautionary principle. Now, this makes my blood run cold to think about it. The precautionary principle, it's a real legislative thing that's in place that says if you're going to introduce some new technology or policy, you have to guarantee that not one person will be harmed. Well, guess what that does? That guarantees that all new innovation and creativity is going to be driven out of that country immediately. I mean, that's what you can't guarantee that there's going to be no mistakes. I mean, my my introducing ads into the podcast, uh, could I guarantee that nobody was going to be offended? No, I've heard from a few people who don't like it at all. It's inevitable. Just change. I mean, all the big podcasts that I listen to have ads in there. It's a natural part of a business model. But anyway, you know, the not everybody's going to accept change no matter what it is. If you think about Uber, I mean, Uber came in and taxi drivers everywhere were terrified. These guys are going to come into their territory. And there are countries that have banned Uber. Countries that have banned Uber. And we can see right along with that, these countries have flattened in development. Innovative ideas are not coming out of these countries. They're coming from other places. If there's that kind of mentality, there's something new and better and different. So we're going to just ban it. We're not going to allow it here anymore. So countries like Denmark, Hungary, Bulgaria, Taiwan, Italy, South Korea, France, those are all countries that have banned Uber. Well, you don't hear in there a lot of countries, a lot of things coming out of those countries that are really new and innovative. They just flatten that. Now, what, what could you do? I mean, taxi cab drivers, you know, freaked out, of course, everywhere about Uber coming into their areas. New York City being one of those. Think about the number of, of taxi cabs in New York City. I, have, I, I should have checked. I have no idea how many there are, but a whole lot. Well, those guys, did they think, wow, we're going to be wiped out? No, they didn't ban Uber. In six months, they developed their own app. Now, this is to be what's called a black cab driver. That's a particular designation in New York City. Black cab driver. It's a pretty, you have to qualify. I'll tell you some of the qualifications that you have to do to be known as a black cab driver. But they they came out with their own app on your phone, just like Uber. And it's really commonly known that their knowledge about the city is far superior to the average Uber driver. So you can respond to innovation by learning how to be better, not by outlawing the new innovation. If you think back, you know, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin. What if they had said, oh, no, you know, we're going to ban that thing? Well, you'd have a lot of guys still out there picking cotton by hand. Yeah, I'd put a lot of those guys out of work. But what did they do? They got moved right into the Industrial Revolution. They got much better, much higher paying jobs in factories that were developing. I mean, think about Henry Ford. You know, motorized vehicles. Oh, I want to come back to that in a second. Let me, let me tell you about the black cab drivers in New York. 
you have to you have to meet a lot of requirements in order to be a black cab driver. And again, they're totally different than the Uber drivers. Now, I use Uber a lot. It's tremendously convenient. So, we're places we don't know our way around. Boom, we use them a lot, you know, from airports and all that. But there's not a lot of requirement to be an Uber driver. And have we encountered Uber drivers and Uber cars that uh, weren't very impressive? Yeah, you better believe it. And of course, there's some stories out there about things that are not very pleasant that have happened as a result because, yeah, you don't, you don't have to qualify a whole lot to be an Uber driver. You just raise your hand, show up, have a car, and you're ready to go. Not so to be a white cab driver. You have to have you have to be at least 19 years old, which is probably true for Uber as well. Of course, you have to have a driver's license. You have to have a, a TLC. That's a special cab driver's license that you have that involves passing a background track check, a drug test, fingerprinting process. You have to go through a defensive driving course. You have to have a medical exam. You have to be proficient in English, including reading, writing, and comprehension. You have to have a knowledge test. You have to have pass a written knowledge test that covers New York City geography, traffic rules, the 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 driver license rules and regulations. I mean, I, I heard a figure about you have to know like off the top of your head like six thousand different streets in New York to pass that test. You have to pass drug testing. It's very very a high bar, very challenging to pass and be qualified as a black cab. So they just simply elevated their status dramatically. They replicated the technology that Uber had and brought it in to enhance what they were already doing. Boy, that's the way you respond to innovation. Now think about what Henry Ford did. And I'll wrap up with this. I carried away on these ideas. I love this kind of innovation and seeing how it's impacted people in different ways. And how some people just say, oh, no, 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 we aren't going to allow that here. You know, never going to happen here. Well, change brings new progress by definition. You know, progress has to require change. Well, so Henry Ford, you know, introduced back in like 1913, the assembly line started cranking out those Ford cars. Well, there were cities that said, we aren't going to allow those here. New York city was one of those. They said, we aren't going to have cars here, you know, clogging up, making noise, clogging up our streets. You know what the problem was that they had right then based on their current method of transportation? It was horse manure. They had over estimates are that there were over a hundred thousand horses in New York City, right at that peak when cars were introduced. Think about the the daily waste that was produced with 100,000 horses. Now, they use horses for everything, transportation, delivery services, street cleaning. The manure accumulation was overwhelming. Horses produced approximately 2.5 million pounds of manure every day in New York City, leading to unsanitary and unpleasant conditions. And yet they're saying, oh, we aren't going to allow cars. (laughs) Well, ultimately they did, but it just, people are resistant to change. We have to realize progress comes from disruption and innovation not from trying to keep things the same. I mean, the future that we're looking at is is going to be developed from experimenting, guessing, making mistakes. You know, I described that everything I do here at 48 Days is an experiment. I'm always experimenting, doing a lot of that right now. And again, are some people, you know, wringing their hands? Yeah, 
that's true, but that's the only way we're going to get progress. You know, and, and also, um, I don't have time to go into it, but talking about artificial intelligence, that's another thing that's freaking people out. Gee, AI is going to replace people. Well, you know what? AI is not going to replace people, but people using AI are going to replace people who are not using AI. All right. Well, let me, let me wrap up here. And I told you I was going to tell you about the story about the paperclip challenge. This is a real deal. This is a real life example. It was initiated by Kyle McDonald. He's a Canadian blogger. It was back in 2005. And uh, what he set up as his own challenge was to start with a single red paperclip and progressively trade it for items of increasing value until acquiring a, a house. Now think about, we, we've talked about arbitrage where you buy bow pops you know, for eight for a dollar and then sell them for 25 cents a piece. So you have the last four free to resell. If you just keep reinvesting your money doing that, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a pretty cool, pretty cool deal. You know, we know that if you just double your money, starting with a dollar a day over 30 days, it turns into millions of dollars. You've heard that old story. Well, this is the paperclip challenge and that's a real deal. So he started with a red paperclip. He posted online, offered to trade for something else. His first successful trade was the paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. And then he exchanged the fish pen for a doorknob with a faceplate on it. He traded that for a camping stove. He traded the camping stove for a portable generator. I won't go up through all, but he, he got up to a snowmobile. And then he traded that for a trip, which included weekend accommodations at a cabin, the snowmobile. And then he traded that trip for a moving van. And then he moved on up from there and ultimately traded for a house. Now, you can look it up. It's hilarious to go through the things he did. But he literally did that. Started with a red paper clip with no money involved and ultimately ended up with a house. So, in conclusion, all right, in conclusion, here's what I want you to think about. What is the biggest problem you can solve based on the resources you have access to? Now, going back to the experiment that I shared here with my mastermind, some people saw that as we can move that rock over there closer to the bird feeder so the birds can sit on it. Yeah, we can help you get that old refrigerator out of your garage and haul it down to the dumpster. You know, I was thinking, how can I do what I do that has the highest value in helping people explore ideas and figure out a clear plan how to move forward in their success path? That's what I offered. And of course, the return on that as a service was a significantly more than just helping somebody, you know, move a rock. All right. So what's the biggest problem you can solve based on the resources you have access to? Can you deliver that to one person at a time, to a small group or to thousands of people at once? So what I want you to do is list three ideas, list three ideas, then give yourself two weeks to create a simple plan to have one of those making you money. I mean, that's really realistic. No matter what it is you're doing right now, if you're already in business for yourself or you're working a traditional job, whatever, if you're retired, you can come up with three ideas. Give yourself two weeks to create a simple plan to have one of those making you money. Guaranteed, there's an idea there. You can execute on that. Well, we're going to move on from there. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions. Thanks for being open to growing. Boy, there's so many opportunities to grow. We're going to make sure that you've got a bigger future than you do a past. Wow, 
but there's so many opportunities for growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. Again, I encourage you to share this episode with three or four of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. I mean, that's the way ideas grow. That's the way you get encouragement, surround yourself with people who are on the same path as you are. So share what you're doing to move yourself forward with them. They'll thank you for it. It'll elevate your credibility, open up new opportunities for you just in doing that. So be that person and stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. See you next week.